What is crackalacking, Harbor Knox listeners? I am Damp Valley coming at you with a random late in the day podcast. Finally catching up on some news. Also, we have another mailbag for you. Wanted to get to this earlier in the week. My work schedule was hectic. I also thought we were going to end up having a final specific podcast for all of you on what was it tuesday or released on tuesday or whatever it was in the middle of day tuesday it's actually going to be released on wednesday so you're getting two podcasts this week within a span of 24 hours make sure you're downloading them this is the first time you're listening to us consider throwing us that permanent subscription rate review subscribe to us on spotify and itunes and wherever you get your podcast but definitely on itunes and spotify even if you don't use them subscribe to our youtube channel youtube.com Hardwood Knox, we are there. Join our Discord. The links to that is in the description. You can follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow us on Insta at Hardwood underscore Knox and on TikTok at Hardwood Knox. Uh, so we do have mailbag questions, all of which came from our Discord this time. So shout out to, to those people, but we're going to release the answers publicly so that you all can listen to it. A bunch of fun questions. But we have some news notes that I thought were worth getting to. And again, this is going to be finals light because we were going to cover the finals in depth uh, before Thursday's game six. Uh, but the first thing we have to start with is the, the Nuggets OKC blockbuster leading into the draft. We didn't want a big door stomper like that uh, heading into June's prospect pageant. It was fairly significant, though. The Nuggets are sending uh, a distant, it's a protected, I still don't know the protections on it, I tried to look, but a protected 2027 pick and Jermichael Green to Oklahoma City in exchange for a 2023 second and a 2024 second and number 30 in this year's draft. Denver now has number 30 and number 21. Uh, a few things here. I still don't, I've been looking, I don't even know what pick specifically OKC sending out in 2023 and 2024. I'll start with them. I think this was a rock solid move. I did a quick reaction on IG, TikTok, and YouTube for this. And that's the exact word wording I used to Michael Green opting into his $8.2 million salary for next season as part of this deal. He did not have a year where it implied he was worth that. He's still someone in theory, if the Thunder keep him, who they can reboot just as a potential stretch five can also play the four in certain lineups. And the Thunder, even if they're going to draft one of those three bigs uh, with the number two pick, they're not especially deep on that, that upper front line right there. They can also use him as part of a, another deal. Maybe they get to a buyout. Maybe they stretch him. I don't know. But that was a small cost to take on a distant first from the Nuggets where we have to see the protections, but betting against Denver's long-term future, like it's not the worst idea in the world because now they've consolidated so many of their assets into this exact core. You have Michael Porter Jr.'s back. Yeah, he'll still be young, but who the hell knows? what he'll look like then Jamal Murray coming back from the ACL injury and Jokic, I believe will be 32. So still in his prime, but again, hedging against the nuggets is long-term future. You're essentially saying, you know, that you're going to use these because this cap space to the thunder it's happening this league year because they have all this cap space. It doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Like they're, they weren't going to be, you weren't going to use it on a trade that was going to net you this, you know, unless Philly was trying to figure out a way to get off of Tobias Harris or Atlanta was still, it was trying to figure out how to lop off Danilo Gallinari to you. And that could still happen by the way. Um, so that doesn't bother me. We have to see what the, the two second round picks are, but you let's just say it's using two seconds and number 30 to move up to what in 2027. The only way this is a net loss really is if Denver is number 30 in 2027, which kudos to the nuggets if they end up with the, the least best record that year. So I'm completely fine with that. There's also more margin for error here with the thunder than most teams just because they also have number 34 
whoever that you're going to take at 30 can be available at 34 and second round picks, unless they're super high end, you get to a point where a lot of these guys, maybe you can just sign to a contract or talk to beforehand and, and work things out that way if you really wanted to. And so I like the bet of hedging against the future. Also, the Thunder's roster runs out of body spots like pretty quickly at this point. Um, they did have four picks in the top 34 before this trade. Now they have three. You have to imagine they're not keeping all of these players. This doesn't necessarily make it easier because you are still taking on a player in Jermichael Green, but it's it's still deferring what would have been someone you needed to make a decision on now, whether it was a draft and stash or to, like to use them on the roster. You're delaying that decision when you have more flexibility. It's also an asset you could use down the line in a trade if you really want to because there's that mystique of the 2027 first-round pick. I think it was just a solid move by Oklahoma city. And again, I think it's made all the better just knowing that, Hey, they were going to draft in a few spots after number three. Anyway, for the nuggets, I've seen this spun as they're gearing up for another trade. My response to that is I very seldom see teams move a distant first round pick and, and use it as a means to improve their offer in a forthcoming trade. So like giving up your 2027 first in theory, like that would have been a good asset in any other trade that you were trying to broker. And so I don't think that having number 30 and 21 is more valuable than dangling number 21 in 2027 is what I'm getting at. Uh, listening to lockdown nuggets with Adam Ades and uh, Matt Moore, I thought what was interesting is that they pointed out is maybe this signifies whoever the nuggets want at would have taken a 21 is also going to be there at 30. So you're getting him cheaper on a rookie scale of 30 while gaining the ability to move number 21. You're also just gaining an extra first round pick. If you're trying to amass cost controlled assets or complementary players, while you've invested what will be tax money in a roster that has Gordon Jokic, Murray and Michael Porter jr. On these, these massive deals, it could mean any number of things. If, if you're making the argument that perhaps They've done it to juice up the trade offer appeal. Uh, my highest end response would be no, this is not a move to help you get OG and Anobi. Maybe if you're willing to give two first round picks to Detroit plus Zeke Naji and Will Barton, like does that all of a sudden get you in the Jeremy Grant discussion? Uh, if you ever going to make a big time move, though, Bones Highland is the guy that you're looking at as the centerpiece of any deal. He has, I think he's probably one of the, if we're just talking raw terms in a vacuum. He's probably one of the 10 most valuable imminent assets that you can dangle if we're talking about this year's first round picks and what could feasibly be available. Again, knowing that Oklahoma City is not trading number two, Magic, the Magic won't trade number one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, again, I would still prefer from a different team that 2027 first round pick than number 30. But if it's just more likely that Denver thinks it has a deal for number 21 lined up and you believe you can get your player that you want at number 21 at number 30 while also shipping number 21 elsewhere. Let's see. The other element of this is they did save a bunch of tax money, which I'm not going to celebrate. However, if that makes it more likely they're willing to use their full mid-level exception, the mini MLEs at 6.4 million this year, then yeah, fine. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to say I'm indifferent to this deal. I just don't think the nuggets are done and we have to see what they parlay this into. Even if it's just looking at who they draft and decide to use next season, I don't think it was an egregious move by, by any stretch though. And this feels like one of those win-win situations provided the, the nuggets already have this bigger picture mapped out. And I don't look, 
trading Jermichael Green also probably gives more minutes to Zeke Najee. And given how Jermichael Green played last season, I don't think you're actually losing much there. Green was probably better suited to lock time at the five. But again, he didn't have the best year. Um, You could be worried if if you don't think that they're going to have Jeff Green uh, next season for some reason. Uh, that like, oh, didn't we just give up to Michael Green? But why would you get rid of Jeff Green in, in this circumstance now? So I don't want to say Jermichael Green was excessive, but if you think, you know, you can get another big on the cheap or you're drafting a big, plus you just want to open up minutes for Zeke Najee, that's fine there, there too. So this could end up being one of those win-win situations. My my biggest takeaway would just be that I don't think Denver is done when we're looking exclusively ahead to the draft. I would expect more moves from them. I just don't believe that they've somehow boosted their bigger offers by getting another first round pick this year. Yeah. I mean, draft equity is going to hold more value, but it's number 30. It's not like number, you know, even like 16 or, or 17 in that, in that area. And I don't think OKC is done really quickly either. Just, they still have a bunch of cap space left uh, over like 22 million or, or something ridiculous like that. So uh, they're going to be, able to take on money that that teams don't want and that will still be available to them through the draft. And it could be another instance where they're trying to, you know, maybe they're going to send out players to make the roster counts, just balance out that way. Or they're just trying to amass some distant first round picks um, since they don't want to be getting into these roster decisions where you have all of these picks in ensuing years and not really the room to stash them. Uh, so I don't think they're done either. And after the, um, after the the green trade specifically, they're left with like $24 million in, in room, just about. So that's plenty of um, runway for them to do something fairly significant. Other stuff that's happening, uh, I think there were, there's been some like rumors about a bunch of stuff. The Knicks are interested in Malcolm Brogdon, yada, yada, yada. Zach Levine's going to return to Chicago. We've talked about that already. The one that I found the most interesting uh, since we last spoke was Jake Fisher reported that Pretty much everyone on the Hawks is available, but John Collins is being mentioned a bunch, particularly in bigger packages for Rico Bear. You also had Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer saying the Hawks are willing to move John Collins for a lottery pick. My my only response to that is I get, I think the Hawks are fine to be open-minded on everyone that's on the roster with the exception of, of Trey Young. If you're flipping John Collins for a lottery pick, that's actually fucking stupid. If you're planning on moving that pick, it's a three-team deal or you have another transaction set up where you need the lotto pick to make a consolidation or acquire a, you know, a player, a more established player, then yeah, I get it. But that would be just such a, to flip John Collins for a lottery pick, I don't care how high you are. Like you're not getting a top five pick for John Collins anyway. So whoever you're high on in that, whatever, seven to 14 range, how much are they actually helping you right away? That's more of a move that would be driven in, oh, we don't want our cap sheet to balloon too high. And, you know, we have a path to staying outside the tax next season. But as of right now, you know, if, if they waive Danilo Gallinari, they're going to be $12, $13 million away from the actual tax line. Uh, there are ways to increase that if you find a taker for Danilo Gallinari so you don't have to worry about that. 5 million partial guarantee, or, or you could stretch that 5 million partial guarantee over three years. Uh, but that would just seem like, oh, we're going to try and dump some salary here and make ourselves leaner. We'll spend the full tax, uh, non-taxpayer mid-level exception without going into the tax. They have more than enough room below the apron to me to re-sign DeLon Wright and still use their full non-taxpayer. It'll be tight um, within that hard cap, but they have the flexibility to, to do so. Uh, 
but you're going to trade John Collins for just an incoming rookie. That's not a top five prospect that again, I'm not saying that's actually what they're doing, but if that is one of their angles, it, it's stupid. And you should be using John Collins to try and improve your team, which is a hard thing to do. Laddering up to Rudy Gobert is like kind of the move. Although then you get into the equation of is Clint Capella going in that deal as well. And if you're giving up Clint Capella, John Collins in the same trade for Rudy Gobert, how much better are you actually? I think John Collins is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Uh, even if you think he's been underutilized in Atlanta, like he's still shown his scalability. When you've had to play next to Clint Capella, you're not allowed to be the primary screener. So we've seen the expansion of his floor game. We've seen um, him turn into a reliable spot-up three-point shooter, even if you wish that clip, I think he was just under 37% on spot of threes this year, you want that to be a little bit higher. That's still, that's still good enough to use him away from the ball. Uh, he's also someone who can duck in from the perimeter to grab those offensive rebounds. I think he's gotten better defensively and that some teams actually could get away with playing him at center, but you need more reliable bodies in front of him. So AKA not Utah and also not Atlanta. Uh, I just look at him and this is someone who is never going to earn more than $26.6 million on his current deal. And that's he could decline his player option uh, in 2025, 2026 for $26.7 million. But you have him under contract for four years with three guaranteed years of team control at like market value or just below superstar money. And I know he's not an all-star, quote-unquote, at this point. He's still he's still young enough and he still has that type of potential. He, he's just a lot more versatile on the offensive end specifically than I think he receives credit for. And, uh, you know, the Blazers have been a team that's been linked to him a ton. I don't, I don't really know what the Blazers are doing to be honest with you, but like in a vacuum, do I think if a team could give up the number seven pick and get John Collins, I absolutely think that's worth that. And there'll probably be people who think that I think some of the trade proposals I saw were the Hawks, and 16, like Collins and 16 for seven. I'm just like, you don't give up John Collins to move up nine spots in the draft. That is bonkers to me. So Collins is certainly a name to watch. The Hawks seem itching to do something aggressive, but if they're not moving Collins as part of a consolidation trade uh, or to upgrade their actual roster in the short term, I'm not going to like the move. And I understand that I'll, this is predicated on the actual market. You can't move John Collins to make an upgrade if that scenario isn't available. Here's a novel concept. Just go with me on this. If you can't find a way to get better while you're moving John Collins or to make a consolidation trade while moving John Collins, just keep John Collins, right? Like that's mind-blowing, right? So those are my thoughts on the John Collins stuff. The other news-ish note, and I actually, before I started recording this, I filed something to Bleacher Report on this so you can check it out there. Um, Brian Windhorse went on TV after the Andrew Wiggins Epic Game 5 performance. And we might actually talk about this when Mo DeKeel is going to come on the podcast tomorrow. So I won't go too deep into it, but he called it Game 5 a checkbook win for the Warriors because they were able to pay Andrew Wiggins and Clay and Draymond and Steph. And this is something, it's not unique to Windhorse saying that or hearing it. Uh, we even saw, I think in the original article that Zach Lowe published recently on the Warriors, like there was the quote about rivals are grumbling about their competitive advantage in their spending. Uh, I just don't, and I'm not saying Lowe buys into that. I, it seemed like Windhorst buys into that, but I don't want to necessarily, he said it. He's not the only one who's saying it though, is my point. 
like, we got to stop this. And I'm very much, you know, people as I'm recording this are mad on Twitter because ESPN is talking about whether Anthony Davis is still a top seven player in the NBA when, when we just had the um, epic game five NBA finals. There are two things here. There's actual coverage that is detrimental or misses the point. And I think saying the Warriors are a checkbook win only falls under that category because other teams, they can spend. Like, if you want to talk about the limitations of a market, it's not actually spending. It's how can you acquire talent that's worth spending on? And we know that free agency is not a realistic avenue for a team like Memphis or New Orleans, for the most part. You have to get players via the draft or be willing to roll the dice via trade. We just saw New Orleans do that with CJ McCollum. And we've seen other teams do that. OKC acquiring Paul, Paul George, the Raptors going after Kawhi Leonard, and he left after a year. If you want to talk about those disadvantages, it's a separate issue. When it comes to spending... And the situation specifically to the Warriors, let's look at most of the players they're paying. There's no rule that's preventing other teams from drafting Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and keeping them long enough to where they get so expensive, they inflate your tax bill to kingdom come. There's no nothing preventing teams from finding Jordan Poole, who's due for a lucrative extension. I think the but what about Kevin Durant argument, I get it. They, there was a 73-win team that already had a title, and they added a top-10 player of all time in his prime. That, again, was not the Warriors' witchcraft or getting an exception to sign a current top-five superstar without having cap space. There was an infusion of TV money at once in an unprecedented fashion rather than smoothing it over time, and that allowed the Warriors and other teams all this flexibility. In theory... Other teams could have used that flexibility, which, by the way, the Warriors still had to get rid of Harrison Barnes, who they drafted, to make that happen. Other teams, in theory, could have done that. And if they, if you're saying, well, yeah, was Kevin Durant never going to go to Denver? Okay, fine. But now we're talking about a market limitation, not a flexibility limitation. And I also don't want to hear about how team governors, ownership groups won't spend the when Forbes did their list of valuations to close out 2021 the Grizzlies were the what do you call it the cheapest franchise or like the lowest valued franchise and they were still worth 1.5 billion dollars we are the fact that fandom that an aspect of it is conditioned to care about the pockets of billionaires or billionaire entities is just mind-boggling to me. I get that it's a part of roster building and we need to factor it in. I just spent time talking about why the Nuggets might have dumped Jamichael Green to lower their tax bill, make it more likely that they spend elsewhere. That is, I'm not going to celebrate them for that, but you can understand that logic, understand that it's a reality of life without celebrating it. And also turning that Warriors victory and their place right now in the league their dynasty overall into something it's not. Their teams weren't complaining when they traded for Andrew Wiggins or even used Kevin Durant to get D'Angelo Russell. A lot of people thought that Russell contract was terrible. Everyone thought that Andrew Wiggins contract was terrible. The Warriors won the Andrew Wiggins trade at first because of that pick they got from Minnesota. Are you going to be mad at Minnesota for giving up that pick? Do we stop Golden State from making trades? I don't, I don't understand. You can also just even argue that Golden State spending is, been pro, is prohibitive. Just because look at how much time Clay Thompson missed. Look at how topsy-turvy is the word I used for Draymond Green on offense. They're 
a lot of people around the league are not going to view those as net positive assets and the value that those two have added in the playoffs. They're not going to say that those are, those are net positive contracts. The Warriors have to rely on Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton II, who are on minimum deals. They had Andre Godala on a minimum deal. Did they get lucky because they had ties with Andre Godala or because he wanted to play there or that he was available for them on the minimum? Sure. Even Nemanja Bielitsa in the regular season played a nice role for them. You can also argue that as much as the gap period helped them, they whiffed on what should have been the single biggest asset from that gap year, which was the number two pick in 2020, James Wiseman, still a mystery, but only because he's appeared in just 39 games through his first two seasons. The Warriors are here in spite of different reasons because of a multitude of reasons, but they're mainly here because they were fortunate or lucky, however you want to phrase it, to get really good players. And then they were smart enough to keep those good players and acquire other good players. That is not a competitive advantage. That is something that is accessible to every NBA team. And if it's not, if you're not willing to spend, you shouldn't have control of an NBA team. And like controlling an NBA team should be seen as a privilege at this point. It can't be the fucking Lakers where that's your primary source of income. The Lakers didn't need to lowball Alex Caruso in free agency last summer or apply for a small business loan. That was still hysterical and sad and hopeless, pathetic, really. The, the Bucks even, they have, I think they're fourth. In, they're going to have the fourth highest tax bill this season. And they went into the tax as a smaller market coming off a championship year. Good for them. They still could have kept P.J. Tucker. Just because you did one doesn't excuse you from doing the other. Sometimes it is that simple. And yet we're oversimplifying why the Warriors are here at all. And we're deviating from like what this finals has become about these two hellacious defensive teams where they're countering each other. They feel like they're on a collision course for a potential game seven. If not like these games haven't always been great. There's been these lopsided quarters and stretches and even some finishes, but we're also sort of watching in X's and O's or functional classic in many respects. Um, And even if you want to turn it into like the individual narratives, which is fine. That's part of everything. Like Kavan Looney, going from seldom available to the third best player on the Warriors in a final series right now, because that's what he's been at least the third most consistent player. I don't Who's been more valuable than Kevon Looney to the Warriors. This finals, aside from Steph or Andrew Wiggins, it's not Draymond. I don't really think it's been clay. If you want to make a case for, I mean, Gary Payton, the second hasn't played enough, like even did for Otto Porter at this point, we should be talking about, the transformative performance from Andrew Wiggins, which was brought to you by science, by the way, you want a COVID-19 vaccination success story. Andrew Wiggins went from potentially his future with the team is just up in the air. Everyone's pissed at him. Even Steph Curry was kind of pissed at him in the, in the press conference. Won't get vaccinated, gets vaccinated, becomes an all-star starter, and now has been the second best player for what will likely be the championship team as of now, because they're ahead 3-2 in the series against the Celtics. And statistically, that means they're probably going to win the title. We can talk about all that. I actually wrote about Andrew Wiggins as well. So go check that out at Bleacher Report. Let me selfishly plug my own work there. So we don't have to just lose. Like, I'm, I'm fine with the extra cribs, but we can't always just deviate from the plot entirely. Or I guess we don't have to make this into something it's not. And I'm not, again, I'm not touting warriors like Joe Lacob uh, and, and co. Like, okay, yes, them, Steve Bomber, they spent. Like that needs to be acknowledged. I'm not going to applaud them for it, but I do think the Clippers specifically, they ended up 
shaving off some of the money with the Serge Ibaka trade, but they went out and got Norman Powell in a season that was just lost relative to championship expectations. That's that that's what you want to see. Like it should be an obligation when you have this type of title window open to do what the Clippers are doing, even if it's planning for next season, to do what the Warriors have done. Even when the opportunity to get Kevin Durant presented itself, hey, they jumped on the opportunity to get Kevin Durant. That's not unfair. It's if you want to say it's unfair that it that avenue was available to them in the first place, it's on the league, it's on the players' union for not smoothing out that infusion of of TV money. And look, I criticize the Warriors for not spending their taxpayers mid-level exception this past summer a lot of people did had their season gone belly up because they didn't sign another big or a better big or spent on a a better wing like if Otto Porter Jr. doesn't pan out or Iguodala doesn't give them just enough they don't stumble into Gary Payton a second then yeah they would be under the microscope too they're going to be under the microscope as well if they decide not to pay Looney unrestricted free agent who they have his full bird rights so they can resign him for whatever or if they elect to play hardball with Jordan Poole's extension or start moving other players, other salaries, maybe even including letting Looney go so that they can quote unquote afford his extension. This is not, when it comes to paying players, yeah, there are limitations in play. Like the tax penalties are supposed to be punitive because that's going to fuel the competitive parity. But if you're willing to pay it, as you should be, if you were in charge of an NBA team and have that type of opportunity in front of you, that's not unfair. It's not a checkbook victory. The Warriors have good players. They were lucky to get a lot of those players. They have the Timberwolves to thank for a few of those players and passing on Steph Curry and trading Andrew Wiggins and also giving them Jonathan Kaminga. So yes, there are levels to why Golden State is here. It's not savvy front office wizardry. It's not Joe Lacob and friends. It's not even just Steph Curry. The Warriors are more than Steph Curry, although they're, they're made possible by Steph Curry more than anyone. There's a multitude of reasons the Warriors are here. And like, let's not lose sight of that. But the other thing I will say, and this is probably the, I, I, I don't know if it's cranky, but I don't, if ESPN wants to have a discussion in the middle of the finals about Anthony Davis being a top seven player, I, I'm not actually, I, is that a conversation I'm having at the moment? Unless it's a mailbag question, which it's not. No, but Hey, there are two teams in the finals right now. There are 28 other teams in the league. There are 28 other fan bases to serve. And while I know they're not doing this with the Orlando Magic or the Detroit Pistons, like just understand that this is how engagement is made, how the sausage is made. And it's not disingenuous. This specific topic is Anthony Davis, a top seven player, is not disingenuous. It's actually a fair question. If you don't like the timing of it, I, who the fuck cares? They're not doing a disservice by not talking about these two teams, game five specifically, every minute of every hour of every day until game six. And even if they were, they're probably going to get criticized because it's surface level analysis most of the time since I'm just using Stephen A. Smith as an example on ESPN is tasked with covering not only the entire NBA, but every freaking sport, basically. This is just like, there has to be some wiggle room to talk about things that are outside the bubble or the spectrum that you think is acceptable. You want a certain type of coverage? It's out there. Go find it. Curate your timeline to that. You want to dunk on these takes for being funny because you don't you don't like that ESPN said Anthony Davis is or isn't the top seven player? That's fine too. Consume the league as you want, unless it's actively hurting anybody. And do I think that spinning the Warriors as some textbook victory is disingenuous in a way that sort of hurts coverage of the product? I absolutely do. 
and I wrote about it. But I also don't need to pay it any credence if I don't want to. Like we need to move beyond the, the virtue signaling when it comes to covering the NBA. There is actual coverage that is disingenuous, verging on detrimental, talking about the rest of the league at a time when only one fifteenth of the league is actually playing. Like there, there were people that were upset when there were those on Twitter discussing the results of the draft lottery. Uh, I think it was when Eastern conference semifinals game five or game six between the heat and the Celtics was happening or whatever, that maybe the NBA shouldn't have the lottery on a playoff game night. Like that shit is topical. And even if it's not topical, you can talk about other players, other teams that aren't in the finals. You can talk about other aspects of the finals as well. Do I personally think that we should get into the conversation of, man, are the Warriors going to be able to afford Kevon Looney? One, that's not an actual question. It's, it's a choice. Do you want Kevon Looney or not? Or get into, will the Warriors give Andrew Wiggins his extension? What does this mean for the Celtics if they lose? I think there's validity to a lot of that. Looking at the Celtics offense, what did we learn about them that can be adjusted long-term? Ditto for the Warriors. They need to get more athletic. But you don't necessarily want to focus on that because those two teams, I'm not trying to tell you what the Warriors need this offseason when they're one win away from the championship. That doesn't make sense. I, again, this might be just be the crankiness coming out of me. I understand that there's actual coverage that is bad, disingenuous, detrimental, whatever. Talking about Anthony Davis is not. We don't need to, there's enough like actual shit out there that we don't need to create our own. I'm going to do it for this podcast. Like I said, we're going to have an NBA finals podcast in advance of game six up sometime late Wednesday. And then I have a mailbag that's either going to come out maybe on Thursday or it'll come out on Friday after the finals. I don't know if I want to rain on the parade of an outcome. If the Warriors end up winning, perhaps we release it on Saturday or I'll record something in front of it about the finals and then dive into a mailbag. Rest assured, I have not forgotten about your questions. I owe you all a mailbag. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. And as always, shout out to the one, the only, Frank Neal